welcome to another episode of Hometown History. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dari. And tonight we are down at the Zimmerman Center. Tonight's episode is called Susquehannocks, No Giants But Stand Tall in York County History. This is episode 3.6, so we have about 40, 45 other episodes you can go and watch. This is one of our only ones that are Native Americans. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are turning, uh, watching us online, please visit the Zimmerman Center. It is down in Long Level, and it is has a gorgeous view of the river. There are walking paths out back, and it is a, a gem of York County. Uh, I definitely encourage you guys to come down and visit. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful place. I love that. So a little bit about me, um, I uh, used to be a history teacher, but I recently uh, left and no longer teach. I work down at Logos Works. I'm heading up New York County Safety Collab, and I'm very excited about my new position. I started there about two months ago. I also write a local history blog called Wonder New York County. Jim McClure and I have a website called Witnessing New York, uh, and I went to Penn State and got my master's and doctorate in American Studies. Yeah, so you're still a doctor, just not a professor anymore. Okay, Joe, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and I am the Third Circuit Court of Appeals Librarian for the Middle District of Pennsylvania. I work out of the Federal Building in Harrisburg, and in my spare time, I am running a page called Preserving the History of Newburytown on Facebook, and I uh, am a Civil War reenactor uh, for the 87th Pennsylvania on the weekends. Debbie and I are neighbors, and we just started this yes. two years ago with the thanks of our lovely mentor, Jim. Um, so, yeah, we just do this for fun. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's really no um, monetary incentive. We just really like history, and we want to get more people in history. So thank you for um, trusting us with your time tonight. We know yes. everyone is very busy, and you gave us over an hour of your time. And so hopefully by the end of tonight's episode, you've learned something new, and you felt like this was a valuable presentation. Yeah, so I'm going to go over the agenda for tonight. So first we're going to talk about um, the first half of the history, and we'll start with John Smith and his first encounter with the Susquehannocks. And then we're going to look at the Susquehannock culture, including their diet, their trade routes, and when they first came to York County. And then we're going to move on to their family structure and their art before transitioning into Native Americans of today and their contribution to their heritage. Our three takeaways for you, number one, is that this presentation looks at how people lived and are currently living. So if you're going to talk about the history of York County, you have to talk about the Susquehannocks. They were the first people here. So you really can't talk about the history without starting there. Second, the story tonight uh, took a long time to piece <laughs> together. I'm not kidding you, and I'm saying, it, I mean, it probably took like 15 to 20 hours of our time to piece together this presentation, because frankly, there's not much documentation. What we were able to do, though, is use the wonderful resources that the Zimmerman Center put together. Yes. This, again, like I told you, is a gem. Same with Indian Steps Museum. So there is information out there, and hopefully at the end of tonight's presentation, you're not off the hook. We would love for you to share things that you know about Native Americans or ask questions. We do have our in-house expert here. And also, we've got merch. Yay. If you ask a question or answer uh, a question, you can get our t-shirts for the very high price of zero dollars. All you have to do is participate. And we've got green t-shirts and the tank top that I'm wearing as well. Um, finally, this heritage, even though it is difficult to tell, there are still a lot of Susquehannocks that are with us today. There are about 1,100 Susquehannocks uh, who are identified with Native, American history, Native Americans in York County, and then another around 1,900 in Lancaster. So we're talking about 3,000 people in the lower Susquehanna area. So uh, they're still around, and their story keeps being told. Right, so we're going to start in the early 1600s, and John Smith, that you can see from the Disney movies in Pocahontas, <laughs> 
that's who Jamie and I grew up learning yeah. about Native American history and, you know, the first people coming over and um, encountering the Susquehannas. So he ventured up the Chesapeake in uh, 1608, and he's one of the only Europeans who documented his interactions with the Susquehannas. And he met about 60 people, and he greeted them with gifts for exchange. So Jamie and I are in a book club together, and we actually just read a book, um, Braiding Sweetgrass, and they talk about um, the gift-giving and the receiving that the Native Americans took part in. And he said that they were the goodliest of men that he ever beheld, and he described them giant-like. And he described their calves as so big that in today's terms they would have been as big as basketballs. So he was probably exaggerating, but you know, it was the first time that he'd encountered these people, especially of that stature. Um, and you know, was it true? Were they really that big? We have an answer for you. So there was a study done in 1991 that took um, artifacts and looked at burial sites from 13 different intact burials and 18 others and examined the skeletal structure. Um, and what they found was that the average woman was four foot, or five foot four, mm -hmm. and the average man was five foot eight. John Smith and the other Europeans at the time were about four inches shorter. And so to them, a 5'8 man would have looked like a giant. So right. even though today, 5'8 is well, a how tall are you? 5'7. You're 5'7, I'm 5'5. Five five. So we're, yeah, you know. yep, very similar, yep. Um, note though that the females were 5'4, and for other Native American females in the area, that's actually shorter. And so men were taller than average, but women were shorter than average. And the reason is the men, they surmise, had a more nutritionist diet that was filled with protein. Um, one thing that I want to comment on is there's a tooth in my presentation, and you might be wondering why is there a tooth there? Is that your tooth? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, although, uh, I, who has kids in here? Kids. Parents. <laughs> really, just one parent, two parents, really? My parents are literally here. Good, okay. Uh, after we had our first son six months ago, and I, uh, I had not had a cavity since, I don't know, I was like 20. I've got seven cavities. Yes. Kids will do that I am so upset. But when I went to the dentist years ago, the dentist said that I have what's called a dental pearl. It's where the enamel builds up on your tooth. I think, do you have one, Dad? No, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you don't have the mom. You probably know. When they looked at the, den the skeletal structures of the Susquehannocks, they found two dental pearls. And that for me was just very, I felt connected. I'm like, wow, well, they had a dental pearl. I had a dental pearl. It just made me feel like they weren't that far away. And it wasn't some just distant history that doesn't matter anymore. It humanized it. Yeah, I had never even heard of a dental pearl before we started researching this. So. That's, that's what people are going to leave with tonight learning. Dental pearl hey, exists. You know, it could be a question on Jeopardy one of these nights. Sure. You never know. <laughs> so, uh, one of the ways that the Susquehannocks could have appeared larger is because of what they ate. Yeah, so a staple of their diet was the three sisters, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with corn, beans, and squash. And when they grow together, they thrive as living companions, so they're often planted together. And the, col the corn bolts first, providing the trellis for the bean vines, and then the corn net carbohydrates for the Susquehannocks. However, corn isn't very high in vitamins and minerals, so they got that from other things, and that's where the squash comes in. And they were packed with vitamins A, B6, C, folate, fiber, and magnesium, just to name a few. And the seeds also provided much needed oil. Mm -hmm. And the leaves of the squash plant also spread out like solar panels over the soil, so it helped the dirt retain its moisture and prevent weed growth. Yeah. 
Um, now, unfortunately, though, for the soil, both corn and squash deplete the nutrients, and especially of nitrogen, and that's why if you ever noticed, especially in York and Lancaster County, they alternate corn with what? Yeah, beans. And that's because beans have the ability to take nitrogen, which is a very important chemical compound that all uh, plants need, and they fix it into the ground. So nitrogen is everywhere. It's in the air that we breathe, you know, it's in the water, but it's very difficult for plants to be able to absorb it. Beans are able to take that nitrogen, put it in the soil for then other plants to absorb. So beans are pretty special. Um, they also, for the Native Americans, provide a lot of protein. And so if they had a sparse season where they couldn't hunt or they couldn't fish, beans provided that much needed protein as well. So when we think about how many Susquehannocks were in the area, we're going to do a quick quiz to see if you know this. Don't worry, you don't have to shout out. We're going to practice sign language. So I want you to guess at the height of the Susquehannock Empire, how many Susquehannocks do you think there were? You're going to show me an A if you think it was 600, a B if you think it was 6,000, and a C if you think it was 60,000. And you can hold it real low if you don't want anyone to see your guess. You know, real low. You could win a t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> do we think we could do a drum roll? Can you do it? It's B! <laughs> Are you Six thousand people, yes. I have a question before we get too far. Uh, I've asked this before, but I've been looking for a definitive answer. We know the Indians here, we call them the Susquehanna. My understanding is they came from another, I don't know if it's the right term, but they actually came from another tribe. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. And who was that tribe? The Iroquois. We're going to talk about them today. Okay, yeah. Did you, did we plant you? That's exactly where my presentation is going. So oh, thanks for right. being right. 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 yeah. <laughs> We're all begging for participation yeah. in the audience, and it's perfect tonight. So uh, we're going to transition into those numbers falling. So within 50 years of Smith's interactions, the Susquehannocks met calamity after calamity, and their population was reduced by a third of the original inhabitants because of contagious diseases like smallpox and violent conflicts with other indigenous groups who sought control of the trade routes. So one of the trade routes was the Great Minkwa Path, and the 17th century route ran southeast Pennsylvania from Schuylkill River, where it meets the Delaware to the Susquehanna. And it was an 80-mile trail, uh, yeah, trail used for trading with the Minkwas and another group of Susquehannocks. So what's interesting about this trade route is that you can see it stops um, before the river. So it does not get to York County when we think of the Minkwa um, path. Now this map, though, shows you, you can see about where York County is, the Susquehanna River is right here. Um, the land east, west of the Susquehanna, York County, was purchased from them in 1718 and 1736 through these trees. And so the question is, when did this transition happen? If the Minkwa path was from the 1600s and stopped, and then we know that the Susquehanna then sold it in the 1700s, when did that transition happen? So, when did it go, go back? How does that correlate with William Penn's being given land by the English king? In the 1600s? Is that date for that? 1603? 1680s. 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 Um, and I was trying to ask, how, how is that land being given to them relate to purchasing land? That's what confuses me. In other words, that land was given to William Penn's uh, son because the monarch owed William right. Penn 
Christ's father, right. not, not to money. But now I hear, I hear you talk about the land being purchased, so I'm trying to correlate that. Hmm, I'm not... So you understand question? I don't think so. Penn got the property in the 1680s, okay. 1670s. Okay. So if Penn got the property <clears throat> in the 1680s... Did he start selling it then? Right, did he start selling it? Well, they, when was the first one? It looks like 1683 was the first time that it was sold off. So it must have been... 82. 82. Oh, 82 in the far right, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. I was, I was thinking they were purchasing it from the Indians, and that was the confusing. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so we had a question from the back, so we're going to just summarize it for the people that are online. Um, the gentleman was asking, how did this correlate to William Penn and um, purchasing the land and being given it from the royal family um, with the settlers in America? So we were saying that that happened in the 1680s, and the earliest date on the map is 1682. Yep, yep, exactly. So back to your question. Um, the native, the Susquehannocks derived from the Iroquois, and the Iroquois were up in northern Pennsylvania as well as New York. Um, and so we're not quite sure, so let me take a step back. How many of you came from Lancaster? Anyone? One, two, three, four, from okay. this program. Okay, from Lancaster. Yeah, like you're from Lancaster and you came over from, from this. So the rest of you are York County? Yeah, okay. Um, isn't it weird, the river barrier, that, like, you don't go across the river? Like, when people say they're going to, like, Harrisburg, they're like, oh, you're going across the river. That's my mom. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's this weird barrier. And I just wanted to point out that that's kind of what it was like for the Susquehannocks as well. A lot of them, even more so, they stayed, yeah, to the east of the river. And so it wasn't until there was an immense amount of pressure that they were pushed, uh, oops, sorry, uh, that they were pushed to the other side of the river. I mean, look at this as a, as a barrier. Now, we do know that the Susquehanna is a mile wide, and what did we say, a mile wide and feet deep, right? It's really, really shallow, but for a lot of them, they didn't, um, it wasn't like it was just a hop, skip, and a jump. They had canoes, which we're going to talk about tonight, but it's not like they had bridges and cars and ferries. So that's just something that we want to keep uh, straight in mind. Okay, so they ended up turning to the river more accurately, the land across from the river, and that's what today is known as York County, where we're at, and just like today, the river presented a great obstacle. So like I said earlier, I work in Harrisburg, and to my mom, that's crazy that every day I go from York County across the river, because for my parents, crossing the river was a huge deal when I was a kid. Um, we're not sure how the decision was made, but the Susquehannocks made the difficult decision to pick up and move there and into today's York County. And it was here that they thought that they would be safe from the European and the other Native American pressure. And the sanctuary didn't last long, and we're about to get into that yeah. story. So the first York County settlement, and this is right in the other room if you get a chance to look at it, mm -hmm. but the first York County settlement by the Susquehannock wasn't until about 1665. So it was relatively late. Uh, and they think anywhere between 65 and six, uh, 75. And archaeologists refer to this area as the Upper Leapert site. And this shows you the major towns that were both in York County and in Lancaster County. Now, before the Susquehannock settled here, does anyone know the group of people that were here before them? Yes? Shanks Ferry people. Have you heard of that, Shanks Ferry? Yes. So they were here before the Susquehannocks. And they occupied this region for about 500 years. Historians believe that they were absorbed into the Susquehanna culture. We're not sure if that was by free will or by force. But the Shanksbury people are no longer in this area. 
And then after just 10 years, the Seneca put enough pressure on the Susquehanna to warrant another move. And this time they migrated south to the Maryland area. And they found an abandoned Piscataway Fort where they lived for about a year. And unfortunately, a nearby Virginian colony faced violence from the group of natives. And the Susquehanna were blamed for that. And they moved up to York County, creating the community of what is today Native Lands County Park. Have you visited Native Lands County Park? Uh, only a couple miles from here. Well, actually, right behind the building. <laughs> there are two? No. So with a high point? Um, That's two miles away. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. Thank you. Native Lands is actually, this is the trailhead. Hey, Mr. Platts, everyone. Mr. Platts, thank you for joining us. You're the CEO of the Thurman Center? He works here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is Native Lands, and then the other one's High Point. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, okay, I was mixing those up. So we're um, in Native Lands, right? I mean, I realize that. If you do want to read more, so if we wanted to, this presentation could have lasted hours and hours, but we know that your time is precious. So if you want to read more about High Point or um, Native Lands Park, go to Witness in New York. All you have to do is Google Witness in New York and it'll pop up. So now let's talk about this beautiful painting, and it was done by Carol Lindbergh. Um, and this is what one artist would interpret the Susquehanna village, what it would have looked like. So one thing I want to put out are the parapets that would have been around them that would have served as a guard, you know, to protect them. They had longhouses, and you can see them there. They were about 60 to 80 feet long. When we think about our own houses, my house is made of two by fours, but we have plywood and siding to protect us. Any guesses what the Susquehanna could use to protect their longhouses? Bark. Yeah, bark. Bark is what they would have had. Yep. Um, multiple families would have lived in these longhouses, and I can't imagine that. I, uh, I I love camping, and since we had our six-month-old, you can imagine we haven't been camping. Um, partly because the little guy was born two months early, and so he's had a little bit of catching up to do, and we haven't wanted to subjugate him to either a lot of heat or a lot of cold. But I started looking at cabins to take him to, like the show, and there's one cabin that seats like five people, and I'm like, Oh man, do I want to like live with my friends for the weekends and like all share one room or like a yurt, you know, like all living together? And and I think about me, that's how they lived all the time. Yeah. Multiple families, all in one long house. So cooperation must have been a core of their family value. And it would have to be. I mean conflict resolution. I mean, imagine your life. Could you live with your in-laws and your extended family? <laughs> if you can, good for you. I do love my in-laws. If you're watching this, Jackie, I love you so much. You're amazing. Well, hey, I live with my mom, so That's I, true. I take care of her, so my future husband's going to have to love her, too. <laughs> so what do we know about the Susquehanna families who lived in those longhouses? We know that the men moved into the longhouses of their wives and the wives' family. So that is uh, you know, different than the Europeans, where it was usually the women were moving into the man's world and his family. And unlike many other societies, including those in York County, the Susquehannocks follow, um, how do I say that? Matrilineal. Matrilineal, sorry, I can't talk tonight, lines of descent. And their social organization centered almost entirely on women's heritage. So um, I'm partly Italian, and one of the things doing Italian genealogy research that I found is a lot of Italian women um, kept their maiden names, and a lot of the genealogical research goes on the uh, female side and the female surname as opposed to the man's yeah. surname. Yes. And that's exactly what the Susquehanna did. Yes. 
May I ask you a question? Showing this picture, are we on this side of the river or on that side? I'll defer to our expert. Our expert will tell us. So this engraving uh, was done in 1720. Uh, as you can see, um, it's it's not, you can see some aspects. Oh, sure. Now, years ago, yes. before the dam came in, you could walk Yes. And it used to be um, a lot more shallow. Yes. That's why I was wondering if it was on that side or this side. Sure. So the Susquehanna. Oh, thanks. I'm here. <laughs> so the Susquehanna people um, had communities uh, at different parts of their time here on the lower Susquehanna, um, either in Lancaster or in York County. Now, this yes. engraving here. Um, I will say I am not an expert in it, though I do know that uh, our, the painting, that the Carol Oldenburg painting, um, this is a little bit more accurate. So this is representing the community uh, that was right behind here, where Native Lands County Park is today. Okay. So this painting, it creates, um, was created by using archaeology, what was found there, of the walls of the community, where they found the post holes, the lawn houses found, so they were able to determine that uh, 12 to 16 lawn houses had once been at that community, um, with that equals an estimated 900 people that lived right on the hill behind yeah. there. The dam wasn't in there, no, so they course. were walking further down, and that's where they in the end head. Yes, so there are many, uh, Pennsylvania is considered um, the heart of archaeology because we find so many artifacts here left behind. And why is that? Because so many people lived here, were drawn to the river, were drawn to it as a resource, had communities here, would cross the river. And so there has been, you know, there's thousands of years of Native American history right here. Their Herman Mole uh, map is that same fort that was up in Native Lands. Oh, it is The that. last uh, fort that Susquehannax had yeah. in uh, York County. Yes. Okay, I didn't know that the Herman Mountains also yes. of that particular community. And they, they all learn things. <laughs> they have a railway back in 1902 that they could bring coal mm -hmm. down for them hmm. that lived along the river. Abby, while I have you, sure. um, this right here, yes. is there documentation of domesticated cats or dogs? There is. That is there is. So um, there are four there are cemeteries um, that have been found um, at the places where the Susquehannock people had their communities and they have found graves of animals. Mm. And it appears these animals were domestic animals. That's why there's a dog that was quite in this painting here. So uh, you think, you know, not to, uh, not to different people, right, than, than we are today yeah. at all. We're all people and as they were. And uh, so it was found when they looked at the few animals um, Graves that they found, uh, particularly in the when they lived over in Lancaster um, at the Washington Borough site when they excavated there, um, that it didn't appear that they were using the animals to pull 
parts or things. Mm -hmm. But these animals were domestic. Hmm. Uh, so they have pets. That's cool. So they weren't beasts of burden, they were family members? Yes. That's, that's cool. what it appears. Yeah, I think you're going to take the time to bury them. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the interesting things, too, when we figure out how they followed the women's line is we look at trees. And so um, when they looked at the trees and, and how people signed their names, that's how they traced it back. And so one of the things that you'll notice is that, you know, Dami and I uh, travel around York County and we talk about different histories. You've probably already picked up that we know enough to be dangerous and hopefully teach you something new, but we are by no means experts. But it is about piecing together the story and um, using the documentation that we have. So kudos to the German Center and for Carol because they really were able to become I mean, many dissertations, you know, work that went into putting this together. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Abby, you my bubble, about 900 people up here. <laughs> okay, so in the background, Susquehannock men are shown in the river, uh, attending to their fishing rares or traps, which would have been filled with eels on that fall migration from the river to the bay. And in society, men did the hunting and the fishing and facilitated political discourse in the community. However, men lived in the longhouses at the discretion of the women, which I like. <laughs> I could be forced to leave their home at any time. And it's believed that women and men were, had equal say in deciding issues important to the community. So I like that yeah, about the Native American. American. Mm -hmm. So does anyone remember who tended the fields? The picture we showed you. Who is in the field? So we usually think about men being, you know, the farmers and the hunters, but it wasn't. The, the men hunted and gathered, but the women were doing a lot of the agricultural work. And, and with kids there, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. We're getting to the point where Otto is just starting to get into things, uh, starting to roll over when you've gotten to that stage. Um, and, and it is, I can't imagine trying to do your work and take care of a baby at the exact same time. What did? The yeah, they do. Uh, you have a lot of respect. <laughs> you don't have a choice, you do a lot of things. That's a good point. Uh, um, an audience member said, when you don't have a choice, you do a lot of things. <laughs> exactly right. So together, uh, as you see in here, they did more than just farm. They hunted and they gathered, and they did uh, a lot of seeking for seeds and nuts and insects. For game, this isn't new to you if you're here tonight. You know that a lot of Native Americans ate reptiles, mollusks, fish, birds, deer, um, bear, and elk. The animals inspired a lot of art, and especially utilitarian art, it was useful. So when Smith encountered the Susquehannocks, he discovered or ascribed a tobacco pipe in his notes. It was three quarters of a yard long, carved with a bird and a deer. It's not pictured here because we don't have a picture of it. And it was quite impressive, so much so that he described it as sufficient to beat out one's brains. It's a big thing. So when he's seeing these Native Americans, he's thinking, okay, are these hostile people? Are they going to hurt me? Um, and maybe the Susquehannocks, when they developed these pipes, maybe they were thinking in the back of their mind, well, heck, it might have served dual purpose, a lot of utilitarian there. So the Susquehannocks were craftspeople, and they met John Smith with bows, arrows, and clubs that were not only utilitarian, but artistic in their nature, and their inspiration came from nature. So many uh, go to the Indian Steps in Airville to see some of this art on display. And it's only open on the weekends, but you can walk around the building, you can see arrowheads, and you can see Native American art when you're there. Guess how many artifacts are outside? All of them. <laughs> thousand? Two thousand? <clears throat> Ten thousand pieces of art are down at Indian Steps. 
So the name of Indian Steps Museum got its name from a pathway that was carved into the rocks that led down to the river. And today they are submerged underwater due to the Holwood Dam, which we talked about earlier. It was a lot more shallow before the dam was put in. And a lawyer purchased the home in the early 1900s, and he actually sued the power company power company over it, and he won $18,000, and that's about $360,000 today. So very successful. <laughs> yeah. Um, side note, I um, reached out to the woman on Facebook who posted this, and um, do you know the young boy Kane and Red Lion? Remember Kane? That's his younger brother. Aww. That's his younger brother. Um, so this is just a, as historians, we're piecing together these, these stories. And so posting on Facebook here tonight, the things that you see, you're a documentarian, so please post your things and make them public, share them on Retro York, because that's the kind of stuff that we're using yeah. and that people will use in the future to continue to tell our story. So in addition to art being preserved, there's also a lot of people who are still making art. So now we're transitioning to um, the middle to the end of our presentation. We're not, we still have a, a few more slides to go through, but we want to talk about how there are people living with us today. So meet Jack Richardson. He's in Manchester Township, um, so he's not uh, far away. And he's with the Halawazapone people of Northern Carolina, and he makes drums. And so these drums, he will use, start with leather, he use elk or cow, deer or buffalo, and he'll begin to tan them. So he has tanned uh, buckskin on his own. He said he won't do it again, though. It's a bit of work, so I don't think I want to do it anymore. Um, <laughs> but he's not lying. Yeah, Luke and I tried to tan, that was my husband. We tried to tan um, a buckskin, and it sat in our basement for two years with salt on it. And we never did anything with it, because it was just so much work. At least you tried. Yeah. <laughs> so next he moves on to building the drum cylinder using western cedar and it's lightweight so it's easier to transport and a couple coats of polyurethane ensures that the water won't damage the wood. And using strips of leather, Jack pulls the hide tight across the cedar cylinder but not too tight. And if there isn't enough flex in the drum space, that beautiful deep sound won't reverberate. And finally he assembles the beater so that the musician will have their tool. So each drum that he makes takes about four to five hours to build and he sells them at festivals and powwows. Yeah. So Jack Richardson and others keep their native language alive. Um, unfortunately, though, do you know it's been very difficult to study language primarily um, because it was against the rules to speak. Um, so all of the native inhabitants of Pennsylvania, the least known, are the southern division of the Iroquois, which are the Susquehanna. So again, um, piecing together the story has been challenging. So the um, Powhatan. Powhatan, thank you. Powhatan Indian tribes, they called them the Susquehannock, and later the English and now us, we continue to use this name. But does anyone remember or know what Susquehannock means? Mr. Platt probably does. <laughs> so you've probably heard that Susquehannock means muddy river, but it's a little more complex than that. A 1936 archaeology study by the Pennsylvania Historical Commission analyzed various Native American groups asking speakers of the language to deconstruct the meaning for them. And here's what they said. The Aladonkian said that Susquehannock meant those who live in a place where water is heard grating over the shore. The Delaware said that it was river full of islands or projections above the river. The Cree Indians of Northwest Canada said people living where water rubs on the shore. So you're seeing here the similarities. And it was the Nanticoke and the Kenoi Indians who said it means muddy river. That's where it comes from. So lots of river. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like we said, one of the reasons why this is so difficult to study is because it was against the rules to speak. Have you heard of the Carlisle Indian Industrial School? 
Yeah. yeah, and that's a big topic. Um, WGAL8 actually just did a documentary about mm -hmm. it. Um, so it's, it's timely that we're discussing it today. So to address the problem of the existence of Native American tribes, Civil War veteran Lieutenant Colonel Richard Henry Pratt opened the first government-operated residential school for Native Americans, and that was the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. And its mission was to assimilate the children into white culture. Pratt and the school's representatives relocated the children, forcing them to shed their identities. And the Pennsylvania school represents just one out of the 375 plus square boarding schools across the nation. Their religion, their jewelry, their clothes, they were all confiscated, even their names were changed. We just filmed a short last night, it's a five minute video, where we dive more into Carlisle Indian Industrial School, and you can go uh, learn more, it's on Facebook. Yeah. So the schools like this significantly hindered the Native American people, and the scars still remain today. But there are many people that are re uh, reconstructing their indigenous culture as a celebration of their heritage. And Rain Dawn is going to be with us tonight, and she lives in Spring Grove, and she's a Native American person. And her family is part of the Turtle Mountain Chippewa tribe, still located in North Dakota. And her mother attended a boarding school from the age of six to graduation at age 16. So she was not allowed to know or learn our Native traditions, Rain says, and she lived in the time where Natives were being indoctrinated into the American culture. And it wasn't until adulthood that Rain Dawn began to learn and connect deeper with her heritage. So she started making art in a way that reflects her traditions and her values. She says, my culture influences my everyday life and teaching. I am always connecting to our seven teachings and sharing traditions with others. So stay after, we're gonna interview her with more questions. So another person to bring their hat to Native American culture and heritage is Noah Platts from Lancaster County. And he heard about a bunch of fallen trees on a friend's property and a tall, straight, thick, untwisted tulip poplar with few knots caught his eye. And it was brought to the Susquehanna National Heritage Area for him to start digging. And that's where his project uh, happened. And that's when he did that project to earn his visa. Yeah, yes. yeah. He spent 65 hours alone digging out this canoe, but a total of 183 hours went into this with the help of volunteers, family, friends, and other scouts. They started by chainsawing the top off, uh, then they chainsawed a three-inch canal that they then used to light a fire, and then the fire um, um, uh, turned the wood into charcoal, and then they were able to scrape that out with an axe. This process mimics pretty much what the Native Americans did. Minus the chainsaw. Right? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> if they had, they would have used it. So indigenous Americans used lightweight woods such as birch, but the swift and rocky Susquehanna to, uh, proved to be too precarious for that. And that's why the Native people of this area traveled more with their network of footpaths than in hand-dug canoes. Here it shows you all the footpaths. The canoes were mostly used for fishing and ferrying meat and hides across the river. Have you heard of Monocacy? Yes. Drill? Yeah, there you can see it going through York. You can see all the footpaths that were uh, on the eastern part of the state. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, Noah used an S, and these are the different tools that they, the Susquehannocks would have used to carve out their canoe. Yeah, and the oldest canoes date back to 6,000 years in the northeast United States, but fewer than 20 of them have been found in Pennsylvania. And early reports from English uh, explorers estimate that Native American canoes along the Chesapeake reached up to 50 feet long. That's insane. That's really long. Yeah, and squeezing in a person every foot. So, I mean, you were hauling a lot of people back. Yeah. That's impressive. And the Chesapeake reached 50 feet, or uh, John Smith witnessed Susquehannocks in their own dugouts, 
but no archaeological evidence has been found of these, and archaeologists believe that they sunk them with rocks to preserve the wood's moisture and hide them from thieves. These Esquinanacs dependable canoes um, meant that they were hesitant to adopt the white settlers' blunt boats. A uh, loaded canoe, for example, could overtake an English boat of comparable size. The settlers actually found that canoes were better, better vessels than their own, so they transferred their own naval allegiance to these indigenous practices. Um, the John Wright Ferry, which you guys know right up the road, that employed lashed together dugout canoes to move wagons across the Susquehanna River. So they lashed the canoes together. So the Susquehannocks also used their canoes to travel to the rocks in the river, and there they see carvings done by the Shanks Ferry people who preceded the Susquehannocks in the area. And there's a thousand or more rock carvings at ten different sites, but most of them have been removed in the 1930s for preservation, and many more are submerged underwater. And these are petroglyphs. Um, uh, that's me. We went out to look at the rocks. Side note, I should not have worn shoes. I should have taken them off because they wear down the rock over time. So if you go out and see them, wear your light vest, bring a sponge so you can wet the rocks so you can see it better, and then take off your shoes. I, I shouldn't have done that. So there are some people who try to interpret what the petroglyphs mean. Some say they was, would have designated hunting grounds, other accounts of their people, or making a sacred site. Out of the seven snake symbols, six point to the sunrise or the sunset during solaces, um, solstices, sorry, solstices and equinoxes, including uh, indicating astronomical significance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the, the most of probable theory, though, of the petroglyphs is that they were boundary markers. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, we're going to near the end here. We only have two more things to go over, but please stay for our interview with Abby Tiford and Ray Dawn. If you're online, we're going to take a quick pause and then we'll be back on. But we wanted to show you this video here that the Zimmerman Center put on. Um, we do not have speakers, so we apologize in advance. It's not going to be very loud. We are still here. Our people are still here. The descendants of the ancestors who were here at that time, we're still here. We just migrated to different areas, but we're here, we're alive, we're thriving, and we want, we want people to know. I celebrate my heritage by attending powwows, and there's several of them in Lancaster County and York County and the surrounding areas. I make sure my children are exposed to it. Um, I, I even gave my three children Native American names just to make sure that nobody could ever take that part of their heritage away from them. I encourage them to do research online about their heritage. Our heritage will thrive. The heritage of this tribe will thrive. And, and we will make everyone in the family known about this and whatever information we can pass on so that it continues and they can pass it on. Yes, um, I feel uh, education is very important and that's one of my, um, that's been one of my goals in life to educate um, the next generation on the native people that have lived in our area. Join us at our powwows, go to museums, um, talk to us, ask questions. 
I hope you guys in the back were able to hear it. Um, if not, will that video be available online, Abby? Uh, yes, uh, it will be uh, soon. We will be um, releasing this year uh, the videos and the series uh, where we interviewed Sussman Hanok and Native American descendants. Wonderful. Thank you. So we tend to talk about the problems the Native Americans face undermining their success. But in reality, there are many who are still thriving, like the people mentioned here. Actually, the people mentioned here are only a drop in the bucket. So there are 1,100 people in York County who identify as Native American and 1,900 in Lancaster. So that makes about 3,000 people. That's more people than living in Wrightsville. Wrightsville only has about 2,200 people. So let's continue supporting them as they tell their stories. As we wrap up here, we're hoping that you leave with these three takeaways. One is that if you're going to talk about history in New York County, you have to start with the Susquehannocks and Native Americans in general, um, because that's where the history began. Second, uh, tonight's presentation is incomplete because we don't know that much because there isn't a lot of documentation. But thanks to number three, this heritage is continuing thanks to the wonderful work of the Zerman Center and people like Ray Ron and others like who her are celebrating her heritage. Right, and our next episode is going to be on September 26th and it's Penn Park is our topic and we're going to be at the Zion UCC Church. So please come out and see us there. It's going to be an in-person event. If you can't make it in person, you can also watch it on Facebook Live. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. And we'll be back in a few minutes with our interview. Does anyone have any questions or anything before we move on to our next segment? Yes. Yeah, this has to this has to do with uh, has to do with peoples, the tribes. And I have if I have the wrong term, please tell me. Sure. You talked about how the Susquehanna came from the Iroquois. Yes. Okay. Shanks Perry people. I've got two two areas. Shanks Perry people. Where did they come from? And Conestoga. Where how Conestoga used fit in with the other Indian populations? Where did they come from? Or where did they break off? Of? Would you like to hear? Yeah, Abby, <laughs> <laughs> our in-house expert. I thought somebody said the Shanks Perry people came from the Iroquois also. Sure, so I can answer that question to the best of my knowledge. And my knowledge, um, I, I laugh when they say expert because I'm no, by no means an expert. Um, but through working with Susquehanna National Heritage Area here, um, I spent um, a number of years uh, working on the Susquehanna Gallery that we have here. And with uh, telling the story of the Susquehanna people here at our center as we are at the trailhead of, of where the Susquehanna people had their community here at Native Lands County Park as well as we're in their homeland here. So that's where my knowledge comes from um, to share. So your question about the Shanks Ferry people, we call them the Shanks Ferry people. Uh, we don't know what they call themselves. Um, that is uh, too far back in history. Um, so we call them the Shanks Ferry people because that, that Shanks Ferry crossing is where they found one of these communities. Uh, the Shanks Ferry people actually lived in the Algonquian lifestyle, way of life, very different than the Susquehanna people. Um, I, as far as I know, we don't exactly know where they came from, but they arrived here and they were using this landscape and the river. Uh, they had a community at the base of Turkey Hill here. Um, as one of their communities, but they lived in domed-shaped houses, hamlets. So very different type of house than the Susquehanna people years later. Um, 
So they had a very different lifestyle and way of life. Um, they were farmers just like the Susquehannock, just not on a larger, large scale as they were. Um, and they created these, this rock art, these petroglyphs in this river here. And the fact that this is the place that they chose of the 444 mile long river means it was very sacred and important to them, this area. And I think when you look out at the river today, you can see why. You see some of the same viewscape, this preserved landscape that the Shanksbury people, Algonquian people saw, and the Shasta-Squahannock people saw. So the only thing that we think we know about their history is they have Algonquin type of culture. Correct. But we don't um, know for sure that they came from that. We, that's just their best. That all we know is how they lived. Correct. Okay. Um, and they had, we, they were, so much of what we know about them is only through archaeology. Um, and that their lifestyle and the act of rock art carving aligns with the Algonquian. Um, there was, they found through archaeology, a community in the a uh, building in the middle of the town community uh, that appeared to be a sacred building, a building where the community met. Um, outside of their smaller family unit homes. So that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> where the Conestoga Indians fit in with that. Correct. Uh, that's right, the Conestoga. So as you can tell, this there's a vast amount of history here of Native American people. And uh, Domi uh, and Jamie did a, did a great job here condensing it. Um, I'm a little more long-winded <laughs> than they are, you could say. Uh, so the Conestoga, uh, they came um, as remnants of the Susquehannock people um, as they joined together here in Lancaster towards uh, near Turkey Hill there. So they were remnants of the Susquehannock people, to answer that question. Thank you. As part of that, could you go back to the slide that showed where the different indigenous people were? Oh, look at all these slides I made. Can you see why it took me like 20 hours to make this thing? <laughs> you just can't, there you go. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. So the Algonquin aren't listed there anywhere yeah. within Pennsylvania, so they came from upper New York? Further out west, you out find west. a lot of um, a lot of Algonquian uh, people still living there today, and you find a lot of rock carvings out west, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because uh, that's a very much part of Algonquian culture and made by Algonquian people. Thank you very much. Uh, our love was an Indian, and he lived down at Long Level, uh, where the creek comes out at the Long Level uh, from up. It, it goes the whole way over to Red Line. Uh, anyways, I lived down there. He and his wife, and they went to Kenadaki Lutheran mm -hmm. Church. Now, I'm 88. He was <laughs> uh, like 50 years, years older than me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he died, but he lived at Long Level, mm -hmm. down by the creek that comes back out mm -hmm. at Welsh's. Okay, he was down where the baseball diamond is, and he had a place up on the rocks. And um, I talked to him about 
it might be five or six years ago, he was old, very old, and he said his daughter still brings him food. Mm. Um, and he cooks it, and he lives back in where the creek winds around and comes out of Welsh's. Uh, he lives out back and comes out where, uh, I, I forget the men that owned that farm, but they farmed potatoes. Mm, okay. That's fitting for this area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he was the kindest Indian I had ever met. <laughs> but he was a Christian. Mm -hmm. He went to um, Canada to Luther. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else have a question or comment before we move on? Yes. I mean, this would have been later when I was first, and I don't know how accurate it is. One of your research indicated that there were Iroquois that lived in New York City area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Air York. Yeah, New York and Upper Pennsylvania. Yeah. And New York City area. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there was, yeah, okay, over time. Okay. Yeah, later on. Okay. When is the interactive map coming out with everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us. Give us about five, ten minutes, and then we'll have our action. <laughs>